Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Sarah explains why she ended up at a non-target school, how her 4.0 GPA opened a lot of doors, and how she ended up at a bulge bracket investment bank in New York. Learn how she dealt with private equity recruiting and when she realized that she was more interested in growth equity and the VC world. Finally, listen to how she finally got her big break, was able to make the jump, but only after three years of investment banking and an analyst to associate promotion. Enjoy. All right, Sarah, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a short summary of your bio. Sure. Um, so I came out of a non-target public school, um, more of an engineering school. I was a finance major there. Um, came from a little bit of an untraditional background. So no parents in finance or anything, even corporate or business related. Um, actually ended up um, my sophomore year getting pretty lucky and having an internship in kind of financial research. And that's where investment banking first kind of came across my radar. Um, from that, I decided I was going to give it a shot. Didn't actually think I would have any success on that recruiting front. Um, my school was not at all a feeder, even though it's it, it was a top public school. There was just zero investment banking recruiting uh, on campus. Just, so, just because it was like more yeah. engineering based and stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. So it had all of the top, you know, companies looking for computer science and engineering majors on the business side. There was pretty much no formal support. Got it. There. So um, ended up honestly just applying online. Um, it was a huge fan of Wall Street Oasis. Uh, that's kind of where I learned yeah. everything to go through the process. Yeah. I mean, it was it was beyond a huge help. So I was constantly on the forums, just looking for all of the steps to take. Ended up trying to network, reach out cold to people, and really did not get much traction from that. We didn't have alums on Wall Street. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just, it was difficult to kind of get that connection with people. So ended up applying online. And I went to kind of a, a, a big name bank, but a regional office. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that put me in a much smaller pool. So did my summer there and then re-recruited for full-time and went to a bulge bracket. Sorry, I'm silencing my phones. Um, so you're- No worries. Um, so you basically um, have kind of a non-traditional background, but it, tell me a little bit more about, let's let's go all the way back to undergrad and just start there. And you know, you said you, you got lucky with this sophomore summer internship, like finance research. Tell me a little bit about like, how did you get lucky? Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. So, so that internship was just kind of my first formal exposure to the world of business in general. But did you get it um, through like networking? How did you get it? No, I actually got that one through an on-campus program. Hmm. Um, so it was it was through someone that wasn't even an alumni, but they wanted to. Why help. even? Um, why even major in finance? So was that did that internship kind of push you towards finance or to major? No. In yeah. So interestingly enough, um, my dad, who is not not a business person at all, has always been obsessed with reading Barron's. And when I was a kid, he would take us to to the bookstore and we would go off and read books and play with toys and he would be reading Barron's. And so from a young age or like watching Bloomberg. And so from so he a likes young to age, trade or he likes to. Yeah, he his his motto is buy low, sell high, which he thinks is uh, novel. <laughs> 
Um, (laughs) So from that, I was always interested in it. I loved my econ courses in high school and it just felt the most natural, but I did kind of dabble in doing computer science or engineering for a bit. So you knew kind of going into school that finances might be a thing. Yeah. Okay. Why not go to like a finance school or like a public school more known for finance? You're still Uh, kind of dabbling. You're still thinking, oh, engineering might be a good path. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I I won't give too much away, but like it it won't be hard to figure out which school I went to. But essentially, like in the place I was an in-state resident, they give full tuition scholarships. And the school I went to was like easily the number one there. So it it wasn't much of my own choice, unfortunately. Yeah, so financial. That makes sense. Okay. So you're you're basically um so you kind of knew you had this interest in finance. You kind of do this. You, you you said you dabbled in like computer science. Did you dabble like freshman year? And you're like, hell no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I took the intro class or I took a couple of classes and just realized like you look beside you and you realize that for these other people, coding is like a second language. Like it's so natural. Mm. And I realized th- those are the people I'm going to be competing with in interviews. Like it's not natural to me. I'm forcing it. Like but you still I'm at well. office hours. Yeah, I did well. But doing well, I think there's a big difference between like really crushing yourself to do well in something and And then doing well in something that's more natural. Yeah. You had to really, really work for it. Um, Yes. Yeah. Okay. So then you thought, maybe this finance thing sounds more interesting. I can, you know, buy, buy low, sell high like my dad. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) So that's basically what you probably thought of finance as like more of the markets at that point. Did you know a lot about like investment banking or? No. Yeah. So tell me how you, so you did this financial research internship sophomore year. It was through a program for your school. Great. Um, So not too lucky. It sounds like they kind of teed it up for you a little bit or was it? Yeah. No. So once I got there, it was more luck once I got there. Um, Mm -hmm. It was interesting. They, most of what I was doing was just kind of research to come up with like original posts for, um, for the company. Mm. But they would send me, it was in like a major financial center. Um, and they would let me go to these networking events that I had absolutely no business being at. Mm-hmm. And when you're a 20 year old, um, kind of side by side with people that are like well-established in their financial careers, you really don't have anything in common or anything to contribute to them. So yeah. for me, I think the only thing we had to talk about was, Oh, what are you going to do after you graduate? Mm-hmm. And me being someone that was interested in business, but didn't really know what I wanted to do. They were all like, oh, well, you should do investment banking. And that was the first time I had even heard of this. And then I went online and I looked up salaries and I was like, oh, I should do investment banking. You didn't look up uh, hours at the same time? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think, I think before you get there, I think every young person falls into the same trap. They just see the number and they're like, oh, no, I would do anything for that. Fine. Yeah, like, yeah, I can work the hundred hours, and then you actually work it, and then you're like, "Wow, that yeah. was really bad." <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that's exactly how it went. <laughs> okay, so so kind of exposed to the word, even investment banking, sophomore summer internship. Yes. You kind of going, so then you start kind of going to um, you go into junior year. What's the thought process like? Okay, finance all the way. Here we go. Are you thinking like recruit junior year, and how did that go for summer internships? Yeah. So that's what I was doing. Um, I mean, it started off. Did you know the cycle? Did you know the cycle was like so early or anything? No, I mean, I, I feel really fortunate now when I talk to people, I mean, how much the cycle has changed. It was still pretty normal. Yeah. I, I think I was doing this back in 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, I didn't get my internship until February or March, which is unheard of now. And this was out of time. I have a, a mentee. She's at Fordham and for the podcast called monkey to millions, we do, I, I mentor basically three or four people at a time from like non-targets or whatever, just non-traditional candidates. And she has already landed a, not just a, obviously a, she's just starting her or he's, she's in her first semester. She has her summer sophomore lined up, but then like the, the junior summers are going to be in the spring I, of sophomore year. It's not I even the can. summer. <laughs> I think, I think back to that. And if I, this is why I feel so lucky. I mean, just one of the reasons, like if I was recruiting now, I would have missed that boat because they would have already recruited for junior year before I'd even heard what investment banking even was. So I I I feel for people going through it now. I think it's tough. Yeah. Well, I guess everyone's in the same boat, but it, it really hurts the kids who just get exposed to it junior year, sophomore year. 
Uh, yes, kind of late. Definitely. Anyways, uh, so back to the back to your story. So you're you're kind of you're not really too aware of what's going on, but are there any sort of like, are you doing networking at this point? Like at least you have some exposure to like having to network at this job, which sounds, it's actually sounds, that's probably the, the best skill set you developed like over the summer is just talking to people at those conferences. Definitely. Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely getting comfortable with that. But I, I was inherently, I think, social super shy oh, and i okay. no i was shy i'm like i would call myself like an extroverted introvert at this okay. point but yeah, i think yeah. that came with time and getting confident mm-hmm. um through working so at that point i felt extremely uncomfortable reaching out to people that like i didn't have some baseline commonality with mm-hmm. and like i was a complete non-target non-traditional background mm-hmm. so i think there just wasn't much to kind of leap pad off of so for me that was I did a little bit of that would get pretty discouraged, not getting responses. And then on like LinkedIn, I, yeah, on LinkedIn. Yeah. Exclusively on LinkedIn. Yeah. Just for the listeners out there, the response rate's probably around one to 3% if you're good. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And I mean, there's, there's, there's angles to that, that I've since learned. And I, I love to give people advice on because I, I get contacted all the time through LinkedIn and I'll respond if it's a personalized message and I think I can do something, I'll always respond. If it's not, I won't. Can you give an just example? Because... Does it like have to be alum or can you give an example of somebody who's no. not an alum? No, yeah. I, you know, funnily enough, almost every single person who has reached out to me is not an alum. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've had people from Ivy Leagues that, you know, went straight into buy side roles reach out to me, but because they put something about, oh, I'm currently in XYZ industry and I'm thinking about getting into venture capital, I saw your path and I'd love to talk to you about that. Like if it's anything that just shows like, yeah they read my profile and I can see like there being some relevance there like I know that you can make that jump with the right advice like sometimes I'll get people reach out to me and it's just like I know there's nothing I can say to you that's going to get you a VC job and that's you know not my preference but it is what it is uh and I just don't want to waste anyone's time so that's a part of it I think all right cool so yeah I mean I think that is tough when you um when you can't do something to help somebody, even though they want to, do you ever say like, to learn more or you kind of start from ground zero or you just, this usually you don't have time to respond to them. No, I mean, some, I, I, I have responded and I'll give like, you know, as long as it was personalized, I'll almost always respond. Um, yeah. And, you know, a lot of times I just tell people like, maybe you, maybe you need to like find a top tier startup role, or you need to try to lateral to, you know, a top consulting firm or bank. Like, I think sometimes people need to hear like the hard truth of like, just how competitive this is, because unfortunately it is, it's, I would call it maybe like, I, I didn't get to this earlier, but like I'm in VC now and it's probably the most elitist within finance, which I never thought you could, you could get more so than, um, investment banking and private equity. So that's been shocking (laughs) for me. Um, but yeah, I think, I think sometimes you just have to like, really just give people the honest truth that, you know, they might not get through, uh, different channels. Yeah. Through our mentor, we always tell our mentors, like, just be honest with them. Like don't sugarcoat because it's like, doesn't do them any good. Um, okay. So, um, you're kind of coming into your now junior year yes. and you are like this finance thing is this, this is it. I'm going to go investment banking. So what, so you're kind of, you're sending some LinkedIn messages, getting discouraged. So how do you even get any interviews? Yeah. So I, I don't or even you, know. Did how you just happened. get one? Did you just get one? And that was it? No. Yeah. Um, so funnily enough, I, when I was interviewing, it was, I just applied to every single bank online, got very few interviews. Um, like five, three first rounds. Five. Yeah. I think first rounds probably like four maybe. And how are um, you, how are you wasn't out yet? It was just real phone interviews. Yeah, it was real phone interviews. Um, so, so one, um, I think my first one was really early on, I think with, um, it was with a regional bank. And at that point I, I really hadn't done what I needed to do in terms of prep. And I remember being asked, why do you want to do investment banking and talking about how much I loved investing? Um, so that, (laughs) that was a huge wake up call for me, uh, when I really got the door slammed shut in my face. And then I kind of took, um, a couple months and just read through the Rosenbaum and Pearl book. Um, Mm -hmm. and luckily most of the big banks did interviews later on. 
Um, and so so I kind of knew burn too many bridges or blow up too many times. No, thankfully, (laughs) thankfully I didn't. Um, I, I chalk it up to inexperience. I'm I'm not too embarrassed anymore, but at at that point it was, it was a real wake up call. Um, but I think, you know, one thing I would say to people coming from a a non-target or a non-traditional background, like, I think you have to do anything you can to stand out. And for me, that was just getting as high a GPA in undergrad as I could. Like I knew I am from a non-target school. I, there is nothing like exceptional about my background. Like I want my GPA to like get picked up when they're doing that online, you know, like mass pool screen. Yeah. I want that to be picked up. I'm sure uh, this is politically incorrect, but I'm sure, you know, gender might have something to do with getting in a smaller pool and being picked up, you know, by the online scrapers. But I think my GPA was really what got me in the door in those interview rooms. And otherwise, I think I would have had no chance. Do you mind sharing your GPA? Yeah. So so I had a 4.0, but that was that was very much a like. So you realize all the every weekend. Yeah, you realize all the the library. You realize all the non-targets listening right now who have like a three two are like ah. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I'm sure. I have no hope. Don't. It's not true. I've I've interviewed no, not at all. Many a people from non-targets with low low GPAs, even under sub three. Yeah, I think then it's just then I think you know you really have to put in the the legwork of of networking and I think I think the GPA enabled me to not necessarily have to do that which I think for my personality and my confidence at that point was necessary doors it opened more doors it it made you it got you on par with a lot more of the not necessarily an Ivy League but it almost moved you to a semi-target status where you actually got some exactly exactly Uh, so okay so you amazing GPA so you're kind of going through you're getting at least a few first-round interviews luckily the first one you bombed was a local, local <laughs> bank. So you're not like yes. too disappointed. So tell me a little bit about how, so you, you prepped, but then tell me about that second or third interview. Like, did you feel like you were ready or were like the technical questions pretty down the middle, like easy, or did you, did it still take a few more reps? I know for me, I went, I worked at Rothschild. Rothschild was like my, one of my last interviews. And there's a reason I got the offer on like my last interviews. Cause I was so much better compared to my first. So yeah. so yeah, I I had literally the exact same experience and ended up going to a a very similar bank. Um, mm-hmm. So it that was my last one. I think I didn't I didn't do the interview until February, and yeah. that was after I had already gone through so many and kind of knew. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. going to get asked the DCF question. You're going to get asked the depreciation, and then I had gotten to practice it. But I think the key with the bank I ultimately got the offer from and and that was my one and only offer. So I got super lucky, but the interviewer, he was an associate and everything that I didn't get spot on, right. Like his style was to kind of like really try to work through my reasoning on my answers to those questions versus just being like, uh, I'm dinging you because you're wrong. Yeah. And that I think was really unique to the group that I ended up in. Mm-hmm. So I certainly was not perfect on the technicals, even when I interviewed and, and got the role. But I think it was also it was a combination of that and just like, really reading up on the industry that the group I was interviewing for um, covered and like, being knowledgeable. So it was kind of like a perfect, like perfect storm of all of these different factors that contributed to the offer versus like, being 100% on technicals. That was for a summer analyst basically offer for yes and so it was at in new york in the big city it was not so it was a regional office regional okay so you go to a regional office were you thinking at this point like oh i'd rather be up in new york or like what was your thought process of going to regional you're just happy you got an offer yeah honestly i was so happy i got an offer i had kind of stayed the city i went to school in like i had grown up there my whole life i wanted to go to a big major city and this was a major city not necessarily for finance but it was an awesome city Mm -hmm. so for me it was all about like name of the bank what's the experience and then i just don't want to be in my home city Mm -hmm. and i wasn't i really wasn't thinking about you know i want to be in new york I ended up going to New York the following year for full time, but that was yeah. more just a result of like where I thought I could get a better experience bank wise. For sure. So let's talk about 
a little bit about the summer internship and just how you survived and what what was it like? Was it more like a whining and dining selling you? Or was it like you're working 80, 100 hour weeks and like good luck surviving? What was, what would you say? Yeah, it was not. So it was a tiny office. Unfortunately, the associate that um, had interviewed me and I, I was really excited to work with, he ended up leaving right before I joined. So I kind of was like under under the supervision of just an analyst who was kind of also on his way out. So it was a, it was a pretty brutal summer. Um, no real mentorship, no real training at all. I had no idea what I was doing. Like I always yeah. think back to, I didn't even know like control X, like I literally just knew nothing. Um, yeah. So it was really brutal. The hours were rough. They wouldn't let me touch models. So it was just a ton of processing and I didn't yeah. really feel like I was learning. So but working, the people were, were working, great. Were you working long hours then? Because just was, because you're so yeah. slow at stuff. It's yeah, I was super slow, but they also just kind of, yeah, they gave me a lot. Do you think a lot of that was like work that needed to be done, like for pitches and stuff, or was it just to like test you? I think it was a combination of both. I okay. think I think it was work that needed to be done. Like there were many times where the analyst would leave like early. And I remember staying in the office and and one of the VPs calls and he's like, what are you like? I can't believe you're here and your analyst is not like, this is ridiculous. Um, so it was a weird, it was a weird summer, but it was a good, I think, exposure to kind of like the politics and the hour expectations that come with banking. And tell me a little bit about, um, did you get, do you get a return offer? What was the thought process? And then tell me about like, was it exploding? Did you have time to shop it? Like going into your senior year or what that whole process, I think is a little tricky nowadays because it happens so early. Yeah. Yeah. So I did get a return offer. I think it was, it was a bigger signing bonus that exploded. Um, mm -hmm. but then you could let that expire and then take, so I think I probably had like maybe until September. So it was enough time to shop it. I had kind of started to set up networking calls. Did you not want over to go my work? summer? Did you not want to go to like such a small, once you had tasted that you were thinking a bigger place might be better. Yeah. So I think it was a combination of a couple things. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was very much considering going back because they were really, you know, like picking up the phone saying you should come like, you yeah. know, you, you end it and you forget about all of the bad things. And this that is, in the, is, this in the, is this in the regional office they wanted? Yes. You? Okay. Got yes. It. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, I just felt kind of like I was flailing and left on my own that summer. And I, you know, now in retrospect, realize like, yeah, like I, I went to a bulge bracket for full time. And even if I wasn't getting training from people that were above me, I was never alone in the office, you know, like there was yeah. always someone if I, you know, my first time having a model rough out because of circularity, like there's an analyst right behind me that has done this a billion times for two years that yeah. I can go to. And at this bank, there just wasn't like, it was me alone all the time. And mm -hmm. I just knew that was going to be a cap on what I could learn. So that was yeah. the main motivator and the industry focus wasn't necessarily what I wanted to spend my career. in. it was very specialized. Got it. And I knew like for someone that wanted to do tech eventually, there was literally no overlap. So why that was also why, another factor. Why tech eventually? What, what kind of, why were you thinking tech eventually? Uh, just, I mean, just personal interest. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's one of the few things. Like, did you think VC? Industries. Did you think VC eventually? Like, was that what you were thinking? No. No, I had no idea what VC even was. You were like maybe startup, you're maybe like go to a startup, something like that. Yeah, to be honest with you, I mean, I think I, before my internship, I thought, oh, if I get into investment banking, why would anyone ever leave? Like you hear MD salaries and then you do it and you're like, oh my God, I get why everyone would leave. Um, yeah. But no, I I wasn't even thinking that far ahead. I was just like, I think I like tech and it's, it's a lot and easier to work a hundred hours when you don't hate it. I don't think most 20, 21 year olds are thinking that far ahead anyway. So that's fine. That's yes. normal. Um, so no offense to the listeners, <laughs> call my monkeys um, that are, that are under 20. Um, so in terms of just um, now you have that offer in your pocket, you kind of let the, the super high signing bonus, what was it, like 20,000 if you sign now or in 10,000, if you sign later kind of thing. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Something like that. So you let it expire. So you kind of like, okay, now I can kind of look at my options. I can shop the, shop the offer a little bit. Tell me how you went about that process because you still don't have on-campus recruiting to fall back on. Yep. 
None so, at all. Yeah. So is it, you had, you had just started saying, sorry, you were setting up some networking calls. So was this like in, in like the late summer, like August, where you started kind of reaching out? Was it people in the regional city? Was it people in New York? Like, how did you approach it? Like the filter? Yeah. So I think, I think it was July. Um, and I, I really just looked for advice on Wall Street Oasis of people that had done the same thing. It was particularly tough for me because I wasn't in New York. I think that that full-time lateral recruiting happens only at like some of the biggest banks and the biggest groups because that's the um, kind of the sources that that get the recruiter emails. Mm-hmm. So I missed out on that. Um, I think I started a little late. I just went to LinkedIn and reached out to people that had also made a transition um, between their junior summer and full-time. And just kind of reached out asking for advice. It, to be honest, like had limited success with it. Like people actually got on the phone. So that was great. But just kind of heard the constant of like, oh yeah, I'll put you in touch with HR. And sometimes they did, but then nothing would come out of it. Because I think the spots were filled. How many calls? Uh, I probably did around 10. Yeah. And you felt like you were a little late, even in July or August when you were doing these? Yeah, I think it felt a little late and it just kind of felt like I think these spots are reserved for people lateraling from other bulge bracket banks, you know, like it felt like people going from, I don't know, like Barclays to Evercore versus my regional office, even though it was a great bank to Evercore kind of thing. Got it. Got it. Okay. That's you just got that sense because it wasn't like they weren't jumping up and down to like get you an interview or anything like that. Or yeah, I mean, you're just kind of given the runaround. A lot of times, like if I would talk to someone, it's funny, I actually talked to a guy that was in my same regional office who ended up making the same move uh for full he got the return and then for full time he moved to um a bulge bracket bank in New York. And even he was saying he's like, I don't know how recruiting works at my firm. Like it's a black box. And and now, you know, having worked at a bull track it myself, I can totally say the same thing. It is yeah. like, it's like, if you're not at one of these target schools, like it's all kind of this weird black box that like, I had no idea how to get someone an interview. And I was an associate at one point. Like it's, it's just a weird process with all of that bureaucracy. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how you did end up making that transition you had was the offer like key to like you needed that offer in hand to kind of make to get that that uh, other offer do you feel like or was it I think so yeah I think so I I think it would be really really tough without it like Mm -hmm. I I mean I I had a friend that that worked at Goldman investment banking over the summer didn't get a return offer and then ended up going to a really small middle market bank like a name you would know yeah but like definitely not what you would want to be doing after spending a summer at Goldman. So it's tough. Yeah. It's so, it's just so tough. It, it, I think people see it as a red flag, even though it, it's absolutely not necessarily. Yeah. Um, but for me, I ended up getting it through an online application again, which is insane. Mm-hmm. But I think it goes to what a smaller pool you're in once you have investment banking already on your, your resume, um, as well as just probably the GPA thing again. And ended up having my first, my you first only had interview. Until September. 30, yeah. 30. So, yeah. yeah. So it was funny. I had my first round interview actually on my last day of my internship. And I was like, oh okay. God, I'm going to have to figure out when I can like duck away from this and not be suspicious. Cause I hadn't gotten the offer yet. Like they didn't tell me until literally that afternoon. Right. Um, so it was, it was nerve wracking. So you you were on your last day of your internship. You have a first round interview at another bank and you're like waiting to see if you can get a return offer from the first place. So yes. how, did, how did you do? You just ducked out for the morning or something like that? I came back and they told you in the afternoon you're, you're, you got the yeah. offer? Yeah, I think so. And then, so how did it proceed from there? You could, I guess you were already in the process with the other belch bracket. So it was okay. You had plenty of time. Yeah. So they, they did it. They, I would say full-time was way more streamlined than summer. So it was literally that first round. And then it was like a super day email and people flew out. So it was very quick. Tell me about the super day. Was it stressful? Did you feel like ready this time? 
Yeah. I mean, I felt a lot more ready. I I think you're always nervous about what you don't know. So I was very nervous that it was going to come up like, oh, what kind of modeling did you do? And like, they wouldn't let me touch a model. So I didn't have good experience there. Um, but it was actually great. Like the, the thing I would say about a bulge bracket is you're, you're getting interviewed by people from all types of groups. Mm -hmm. So you might have one that's a technical interview with someone in M&A, but like, the rest are mainly behavioral and really trying to understand your motivation for switching. Mm-hmm. And I think my story just made a ton of sense. And surprisingly, a lot of people at the super day next to me, like did not do investment banking that summer. So I kind of had a good, good feeling that, that it was pretty likely I'd get the offer. And so you did. So you were, were you excited or were you just like, you're like, I can party my senior year. Not worry. <laughs> what was the thought yeah. process? Like, that's it. I, I, I did it kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, that probably, how did you finish with a four O after knowing you had an (laughs) offer your senior year? Wow. Well, I saved, I saved my easiest, funnest classes for senior year, which I recommend everyone do. Um, but no, it was awesome. I, when I was interviewing actually in August at different banks, I remember I interviewed at, uh, one that was like super technical interviews. And I remember thinking before, like, God, you already have an offer. Why are you doing that? Like, I really didn't want to do it anymore. So Mm -hmm. it was such a relief when I got it and could just relax. Senior year was definitely the funnest time of my life today. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair. So you're, you're kind of have that offer. Um, You had the, you had the, obviously the internship offer, then you get the bulge bracket offer um, in New York. You take it, you have a long run at that firm. So I'm looking at here, you were an analyst for almost, two and a, over two and a half years and then um an associate for half a year yeah so yeah that's so much longer three, than I thought that's over yes. three years <laughs> yeah it's like 30 in investment banking so time tell me, yeah um, so tell me a little bit about just the progression as an analyst um did you feel like you still you probably still had you went through training but you still had a lot of the you know get up to speed on the modeling and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely felt compared to my peers, like I felt behind at training. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like I just didn't have the technical skill set that some people clearly just naturally did. And training just ran through so fast. The things that I felt were important, like particularly accounting. And when you get to the actual like DCF, LBO, like those things, they would take like a day. And then for, you know, weird culture things, they would take a week. So I definitely was horrified going in, um, but it, it ended up working out well, just being in such a large class with so many analysts next to me, like there, we leaned on each other all the time and there was so much support uh, at the junior awesome. level. So that's really why I stayed, I think so long. Yeah. So you did a couple of years. Was there ever, when did like... VC come on the radar? Was there any thought? I know so many people are like private equity, private equity. That's like the yeah. natural jump. Tell me about, um, it sounds like you didn't get caught up in that, like, especially first or second year. And I then, did. Or, or you did. Yeah, okay. I did. Tell- like, I mean, it's impossible not to at a bulge bracket, yeah. like, I, because everyone is. So you feel like that's the promised land and that's what you have to do. And right. if you're not doing it, you're like, oh, are people judging me? Like you just fall into that trap so easily. Mm-hmm. Um, So I ended up doing, um, I always knew like I never wanted to go to like a mega flat, like I knew I wouldn't be successful there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was interviewing more for like middle market PE. And I remember getting, um, getting past like a couple rounds, getting a case study for one. And I remember it was a sim and it was about like medical devices. And I was just so bored out of my mind, even trying to read it. And I was like, okay, you can't even pretend you like this for a weekend to do this case study. Why are you trying to do this for two or three years as a career? And after that, I was like, okay, I need to just stop, get more exposure to different kinds of deals to really think about like, what do I want to do next? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, more honestly, like not necessarily what do I love, but what do I not hate? like that case study and then kind of took the next six months or a year maybe even and just got on more types of transactions just to get more exposure and then so when did kind of vc come on the radar yeah i don't remember exactly i think it was i think it when i was i was lucky enough to do um a leverage financing transaction in a software space and that was when i kind of realized like wow i really like this i like 
I like the mix of quantitative, they're still being a model with the qualitative, like going over competitive landscape, industry research. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I thought it was a really nice blend. And I think from that, I kind of, it kind of became clear to me that I should just be looking at like growth equity VC and just see yeah. what hits. Um, because I think that's what I'm going to enjoy and actually have a chance at like sticking through versus just doing a two year stint again, and then trying to go to business school and then trying to figure out what I want to do. Yeah. Um, so ended up deciding after that transaction, I think that I was going to specifically recruit for VC and growth. And so how did you approach that rent? You reached out to recruiters. I mean, at this point you had, you had been promoted to associate, correct? From the straight analyst to associate or you're about to So at this point, yeah, at this point I was still an analyst. I was probably like 16 months in. Yeah. Sometimes second year. Okay. And so you're, you do get the associate promote. Are they, are they trying to like, and they have a huge, you know, banks in general have a huge attrition problem across the board at that yeah. exact level from like the second year analysts piecing out early to the associates leaving. Um, was there like a hardcore press to keep you um, when they found out or was it too late? Were you like out the door? Like I got an offer by like, yeah, they, I mean, they, I remember going into my MD's office and he, he knew what it was like, cause I would never go into his office. Yeah. Um, he wasn't like an open door kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and, and he was just like, no, like, he's like, no, don't, we can't talk. Um, they, I, I think there was a little bit, but like, yeah. I don't know. It, it's all about like MDs and who you're close with, like the MDs that I was close with and who were mentors were super excited about it and really encouraged yeah. me to do it. I think anyone encouraging you not to is like worried about their own numbers, you know, because they get judged on attrition, but yeah. it, it wasn't a big deal. Like, but I was never, I was, I was dead set on leaving. It wasn't, you know, one of those things where I was going to stay in banking for longer. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about just how you prepped for like venture capital or growth equity interviews. Is it different from like the private equity stuff or were you still looking at like, I need to, I need to look at, um, these investments as like a principal investor, I need to look at it as like, as did you like look at IRR tables and study L, you know, LVO models at all? Did you, Yeah. or was it more yeah. like, let me learn the VC landscape more and read more like tech crunch? Like, what were you doing? Yeah. So I would say it's, it's, it's really a spectrum, which is what mm-hmm. makes it so difficult. So mm-hmm. if you're looking at like a, a pure growth equity role, I would say it's pretty similar to private equity. So there would almost almost always be an LBO modeling test that wouldn't be take home, like it would be sit in a recruiter's office. Yep. So you kind of have to already have that same like private equity skill set to do well in those interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the most important thing, honestly. It was like having your technicals down and then your story for why this, especially over private equity, because mm-hmm. they're really on the lookout for people that like want to be doing private equity versus people that just kind of like, oh, this is close enough and they could get the interview. Like they want people that specifically want to do growth. Um, and then VC is, I, VC is so mystifying. Like I, I really struggled interviewing because those interviews get, can cover even, anything. Yeah. How did you even start getting the interviews and how did you even get out of the office? Yeah. So it was, I mean, that part was brutal. Like my, my group was I not remember. recruiting friendly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it, it totally varied by group, but like my group, my group had just was not okay with people leaving. Um, so that was tough. I mean, I kind of became known as someone that was always recruiting because I was just always on so many calls. Um, and luckily I was like a good performer, so it's not like they were going to fire me, but it, it it can be a real issue if you're letting your your work slip. Yeah. Um so I I'm sorry, your question was how did I kind of like get started? Yeah, like how did that? you even Yeah, so it sounds like it was kind of out in the open that you were recruiting so it was a little bit easier. Yeah. Um yeah. so that that kind of answers part of my question. The other question is just how did you so you were able to step out. You don't have to be like, I had a doctor's appointment, another doctor's appointment, I have a dentist appointment, <laughs> someone's sick, yeah, you know? Um, you yeah. did a little bit of that probably, but there was also a, a little bit of that. Yeah. I mean, I I was like the kind, I mean, obviously you can't do this anymore in times of COVID, but like I was the type where it's like, I would come into the office if I was dead sick because I needed to save that sick day <laughs> for yeah. when I had to fly out because almost all my interviews were on the West Coast. So if mm-hmm. I had a super day, like, I had to have not been sick before that. Um, 
So that was the tricky like, part of that. Flu. Like, you have like the flu. You're like <laughs> yeah, throwing up in the bathroom. I, I you're like, I'm really, here. <laughs> it was bad. You you can't do that anymore, but it was no. awful. Yeah. Um, because it's still like, they knew I was recruiting, but it wasn't okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. still this weird middle ground. And like, I think at that point, like any bulge bracket is hyper political. So you're always going to have people looking for something to like, kind of rag on you for and I I knew that this was an easy one for me so I always tried to balance that mm-hmm. um but in terms of the actual prep or like even getting the opportunities I tried to go through recruiters I to be honest I found them pretty worthless mm-hmm. for venture capital um I've heard Glowcap is great they would never look let me look at anything that wasn't in my specific industry mm-hmm. which was really frustrating because I wanted to do generalist software VC um I think it might be different if you're at like Goldman TMT, maybe you have a ton of recruiters reaching out to you and they're showing you everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But for me, unfortunately it wasn't the case. So I ended up using a website that I found on Google. That's kind of like the Holy grail for VC job opportunities. And just yet again, yeah, it's, it's called John Gannon blog. Yeah. Yeah, It's awesome. It's truly incredible. It's how I ended up getting my job. Uh, yet again, just through applying online, which is crazy. Um, yeah. And I honestly, I would say my VC recruiting experience was just trial and error, like did so poorly on all of the initial interviews, but Why? that's how I learned. I mean, I just didn't really know what they were looking for. And I think, but did the, you know the, what they were taught? Did you know enough about the industry? The reason I asked this is a little selfish because, uh, we were releasing, or we're just, by the time this airs, it will have been released a venture capital course. So um, I'm curious if we'll have a section on recruiting, but I'm curious if like just having the general industry knowledge and how things work, how different rounds work and stuff, would that have been helpful for you? Or like, that doesn't even matter. It's just more like fit and tell me about the space. Tell me about the specific, tell me like what it was like, you know, like what what really mattered to, 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 to wow them. I would say it's a little bit more of the latter. I think you would differentiate yourself if you could talk intelligently about the former, Mm -hmm. but I would say, I would say the most important thing, and this is the trap that I certainly fell into and I see other people falling into with tech VC all the time, Mm. is people want to get into it because they think it's cool and they think it's interesting. And you're thinking about investments from the perspective of, oh, well, I like using this. I think it's cool. Yeah, Yeah, the user versus, am I going to make any money on this? Like, how's the go-to-market? How do you sell this? Who Mm -hmm. are the potential acquirers? So it's much more like the best advice I ever got um, was from someone that used to work in my group that then went to a really large growth equity firm. And it sounds so simple, but he was like, you have to think like an investor, like everything you say needs to come from an investor perspective versus a consumer perspective. And that for me was a real wake up call of like, wow, I've totally been falling into that trap. And that's why I'm not getting traction. Yeah. If you're like TikTok, it's so fun. Like you're done. Yeah, you're done. You're done. And everyone's using that and everyone's going to TechCrunch and like they're saying those investments and like you're competing with people that have worked in Silicon Valley for years and have parents that are VCs. Like you just have to really take a view on something. And that's the other component is like having your own internal thesis on mm. a space and a market. And Are you being able to really share well at all like how you prepped for that? Like, well, what, so you, you kind of got that advice and it kind of like opened your eyes that this is why I'm not getting traction. So you kind of, yeah, this is really interesting. So like, then what did you do? So like, instead of just reading the headlines on TechCrunch, you really started digging a little bit, like specifically into software, into certain niche within the software. And you're like, I'm going to learn this niche really well. And then I'm going to pitch something or how did you approach it? Yeah. Yeah. I I would say that's a a pretty accurate representation of it. So you kind of learn, I mean, after each interview I would go, I had this master word doc that I kept on my work computer. um, That was just all of the questions I was getting asked and there were pretty similar themes. Um, So it was always, you know, like, tell me about the technology or space that you're particularly excited about right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from that, I would kind of pick something that was very much on the software, not consumer side. So it didn't look like, you know, I was one of these, I think people just fall into this trap all the time of like, yeah. just looking at the Facebooks and the TikToks, which you is just want, not... You didn't want to be a fanboy type of uh, yeah. like your fangirl. <laughs> yeah, exactly, which <laughs> yeah. is tough um, because we all are, honestly. But yeah. Um, yeah, so I would find, I would try to find things. 
I think like I subscribe to this newsletter, it's called Axios Pro Rata. That's like Mm -hmm. very big in BC. And you'll get from that, you'll see like all these series A, C, series B rounds. And these are companies that aren't necessarily making it to TechCrunch. Mm -hmm. And from there, you'll kind of find one just from the little description that sounds really interesting and cool. Um, And then you kind of decide like, okay, this is something that I'm actually interested in. There's a lot of kind of available content online. So people, other investment firms will have already written a thesis on Medium, mm. but it's not necessarily something that the everyday consumer knows about. Yeah, and That's a that really much. great way. Yeah, yeah there's not that much out there. So it's a great way to like differentiate yourself. And I don't even think like, I got too caught up when I was interviewing and like trying, thinking that I had to know everything. Like I was interviewing mainly for generalist roles. So it's like, oh, I should know everything about the fintech ecosystem and industrials and horizontal software. Um, But really like picking one thing and becoming an expert in it, I think is how you really differentiate yourself because you just seem so well-informed and well-spoken versus just knowing a little bit about a lot of things. Yeah, so a lot of it's like kind of doing that that research, getting subscribed to like those newsletters like that that maybe kind of are have a little bit more like under the radar there's another there's another newsletter yeah. called like trends or hustle from the hustle or something like that's similar i think um yeah there's quite a few now yeah there's probably which a makes lot. a huge difference yeah, yeah. And so like you can probably get some of these smaller series a like you said even even there's probably even something out there talking about like companies that are getting like angel rounds totally and like that. yeah and honestly like at that point there's nothing better than google like it yeah. it really was for me so much more useful yeah. than anything else. But I, I really wished that there had been a resource like, cause I had downloaded the, the PE guide when you guys did that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was super helpful, even though yeah. I didn't pursue it. Like, <laughs> and VC, there's nothing like that. So you really are dependent on hearing from people that have already done it. Yeah. But I still think, you know, it's not getting a VC course, like even from us, from anyone, it's still not complete in terms of your preparation Like you have to do the, totally. you have to do the research. You have to decide on that niche and kind of dive in. Yes. And I think that's probably a big part of why it's difficult not coming from a TMT group at a bank or, you know, at a consulting firm, not just specializing in tech. It's, Mm -hmm. it's pretty difficult to make that move because those people are at least getting some of the software KPIs in their day-to-day that others aren't necessarily. So how did you end up actually doing it? How did you end up getting an offer? I mean, it sounds like it's almost impossible. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it's super brutal. So you were you were I, flying West Coast. Count. You were flying West Coast. How many times did you fly out here? Like three? Probably like four or five. Four, that's a I lot. think I did a lot. I interviewed so many places, and yeah. honestly, I spent a lot of time interviewing at places that like I don't think I would have left my job for because yeah. they just they weren't really what I was looking for. And it I, in practice. retrospect, I regret it was good practice, but in retrospect, it wasn't worth the energy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I ended up getting it. This was literally, I don't know, probably a year and a half into looking. So it really goes to show how important practice is. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up getting an interview at this firm. I had applied for a different office, um, like six months earlier, didn't even get a first round. They put something on LinkedIn again, that they were hiring for one of their other offices applied again, didn't think I'd get a first round, got a first round. It ended up being that even though this was a generalist role, the main hiring team for this um, worked in the industry that my banking group was focused in. Uh And so they really liked that I had that, um, that exposure and would be able to kind of instantly walk into, um, to memos on their space. And so that was what that first conversation was really centered on. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my super day. So we did a case study and that was, it was actually about like venture math. And so it would have been really helpful to have a guide for that. It was brutal. Um, Oh, we got the term sheet. We have like, we deep dive on term sheets, deep dive on venture math and all that good stuff. That, um, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Would have helped me a lot. I I struggled through that, but, but But thankfully there was enough resources. Yeah, there were enough resources online that you can, there's so many blog posts that you, you can piece it together. Exactly. Um, so ended up doing that. And then I think, I think the key with the super day was just like, 
being able to speak about multiple things and like take a strong view. Like, I think I'd just been listening to so many podcasts and I had really like formed my own internal thesis on a couple of different spaces and why I thought they made viable investment opportunities uh, versus talking about things I liked. Any pods you want to give a shout out for VC? Yeah, there's one I love um, that I'm spacing on the name. It's, I think it's like the road untraveled, something like that. Road less traveled, something like that. I don't know. Road less traveled. Yeah, I I think um, anything you can find from just like pure software investors, mm-hmm. I, I think is so helpful because there's just common KPIs and benchmarks that you're really expected to know and be able to speak about. Yeah. So anything you can find on that, I think, is just a huge resource. Cool. So, anything else? This it's kind of a. I think a great success story. I mean, obviously you worked really hard in undergrad to kind of open up some doors, but tell me a little bit, like anything else you want to share? Like this, so you're, you're here. Um, tell me about, oh, I, I forgot to ask you about pay. Let's talk about pay. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I know pay as an associate at, at a bulge bracket, it's usually pretty good. Um, yeah. Usually what, 125 or 150 base, something like that. And then. Yeah, it's 150 now. Yeah, 150. <laughs> so that was tough. Yeah. The 150 base and then the bonus can be at least that big. Um, yeah. So tell me about the big pay cut. You're going to make me cry. Um, <laughs> it was it was rough. No, I mean, with the first offer I got in VC, actually, I turned it down solely because the pay was uh, like just unfathomably low. Like I'm 50? talking like it was it was like <laughs> 85 or yeah, something yeah. like that. It was like 100 all in, which is just yeah, you yeah. can't live in San Francisco on a hundred K and not be, you not like kind of hate your life after, yeah. after making like 300, that's a pretty, pretty yeah. brutal move to make. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the pay pay in VC is definitely lower. Mm-hmm. I think the, the closer you get to growth, the further you get to um, like middle market private equity. Mm-hmm. So fortunately I'm more on that side of the spectrum. So yeah. I would, I would say we're pretty comparable to middle market private equity. And yeah. that's something that it's like, I can live with. It's a slight um, take on the, on the base, but it's, and then it's a, your bonus can still be pretty good. Um, in terms of, yeah, like, I think, I think max your bow. I mean, everyone does it differently, but like, I think at most firms, if you're like on the growth side, it depends on if, if you're at like a top tier name, yeah. maybe you're making like, 250 max most people make below that so it is it's a pretty big cut yeah um but there's a lot your upside is much higher in the long run if this is what you want to do so that's how i thought about it are you are you able to share anything about like how people should think about carry and fund and like economics coming into a fund like when you were looking at these uh these vcs were you very like diligent about like I want to make sure they're on their second fund. I don't want to go to a new fund. I want to make sure that they have a lot of dry powder left. Like, what were you, were you smart enough about the whole industry to think about that stuff? Probably. I mean, you were recruiting for a year and a half. I was not. You were? Come on. I was not. No, because I think if like VC is just so competitive to get into, you literally want anything. Yeah. And there's so, there's so much capital right now going into new funds that, Mm -hmm. I, I definitely, in retrospect, absolutely. Like if I made a lateral move, absolutely. I would do a ton of research on that side and diligence yeah. just in terms of the people on the partnership and track record X, Y, Z. But when you're getting your first job, like you really do need to take what you get, unfortunately, because it's very rare to get multiple offers. Like I took a huge risk turning down my first one. Yeah. Um, and I got really lucky, but yeah, I mean, most... I, Typically at the associate, even senior associate level, it's just not normal to get carry, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Above that, it is pretty market standard. And um, how long do you have to work through, uh, you know, coming in as an associate up to senior associate? And then what is it, a principal level, they call it or something? Yeah. So yeah. how long, so, and then principal start getting a little carry, but how long is it, like four years, a three-year run? What is it? Yeah. Or just whenever so, the next fund raises, whenever the next fund comes in kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure on that one because I'm so far from that. Yeah. Um, but I typically from associate, it'll be anywhere from three to four years. Most funds don't promote directly, honestly. Um, I think really small firms, so the earlier stage you are, they would promote directly. But most places, it's it's two to three and out. Mm-hmm. Like go to an operating role or a portfolio company. 
Uh, hmm. Senior associate, similar timeline, probably more like three do think, years. Do you think is that in the cards for you? Like, I'm mean, going to get some operations experience and then yeah, head back. Yeah, and, and okay. that that was that was going to be what I I was going to talk about if you asked if there was anything else. Like, yeah, I, I think there are so many ways into this industry, and I I feel it now just coming from a, a solely financial background, like. I think you really lack a lot of the rich context that makes you a great senior investor when you don't have operating experience. Mm. And I think founders don't necessarily feel like you've been in their shoes and can relate to them. So it's Mm. absolutely something I see not as like, oh, I have to leave. I want to go get that experience because I think in this industry, like it's different from the buy side. Like it's not about your resume in terms of bullet points. It's about like, what is your experience and how are you going to use that to contribute to making great decisions? And what are you bringing over someone else? And it's hard to compete without that, I think. Yeah, no, that's fair. Are you, have you thought about specifically like the type of portfolio company you'd go work for or startup or tech or software company? Is it, is it something where like, what role would you play as a former banker? I assume like M&A, like you'd have to be at a later stage company, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's a little bit challenging, right? Or like, are you going to go over, like go to the, under the CFO and like help him like redo build all his like operating models? Like that sounds awful. And that's that's not really a useful experience, right? Because then you're just, you're building on the same financial side that you you've kind of already been working on. And I don't think that's necessarily what entrepreneurs need later on. Um, So I think, I think from a financial background or a non-technical background, you kind of go more on the business side. So like business operations, sales operations. So understanding the go-to-market, how the sales team is built, like how quotas are set, how you actually get people to deliver on quotas. Things that are really about like that go-to-market motion and how do you scale Mm. a good idea into a great company? That's often what differentiates. So many of these companies are in the same space and it's all about execution. So it's more roles that kind of give you that sense versus something more. Operations more... And sales. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel exactly. like knowing, I wouldn't say finance. Knowing that that's kind of where you're headed. Do you feel like the banking background is the best place for you to be to, to become a VC and an operator? Or do you feel like you would have been better off going to like management consulting? I think for, I think for what I'm in, like later stage VC mm-hmm. growth investing, definitely banking. Like mm-hmm. it's really difficult to do that without the banking and the modeling experience. Yeah, I think if you want more doors open for you on the operating side, definitely consulting. Like there are so many roles I could apply for, but they all want like McKinsey, multiple BCG. years of, they do. Yeah. yeah they, but yeah. that's the problem, right? Like they kind of only want McKinsey, BCG, Bain, which in banking, you don't have that. If you were yeah. at like a big, there's like, what, 15 great big names that you can go to that people right. see as the same. And in right. consulting, they really want those three. So I don't know. I have zero regrets, but I, I think you can't go wrong with either one of them. But if you want to do later stage, I, I think banking is always the better choice. Later stage meaning more like growth equity, LBO side or never. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in VC, there's, there's a spectrum. So even yeah. not on the, the LBO side. Series CD like, type. Yes. Yeah. They really want people that can model. And I I've seen firsthand people that come from the consulting background. Like it's, it's, it's tough. <laughs> yeah. It's, they, they can get there, but it's just, it's like you, you with the ref errors. You with the ref yeah. errors, the first year analyst, they're like, exactly. the headlines, like, like oh. <laughs> they can't get data tables to work. And like, that's totally yeah. fair, but you don't want to yeah. be doing that when you're 27, you know? Yeah, fair. Cool. Well, thank you for taking all the time and sharing all your wisdom and your story. Any kind of other uh, words of advice for the younger listeners in terms of as they're kind of coming out of undergrad, maybe there's some bankers listening right now. Any thoughts in terms of or final advice in terms of the transition to VC, anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I would just say like, like don't give up. It's, it's not the same process as private equity. It is on a much different timeline. So I was seeing almost everyone around me get their offers 18 months in advance. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there as a third year associate and thinking, Oh my God, I'm never going to get a job. I'm going to be here forever. That's just not how VC works. Like they don't, they don't want you until you've had a few years of experience and just be patient, like really spend a ton of time reading and like becoming a voice on the industry and what you want to focus on. And it'll work out eventually, whether it's a more, more linear or circular path, 
uh, it, 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 you'll get there. Did That's you become a voice? Sorry, just real quick. Did you become a, meaning, did you start writing to try and put yourself out there in terms of? No, I didn't. You'll that. hear that a lot. Yeah. yeah, you'll hear that a lot. I honestly think like the the harsh truth is like people just don't care what, okay. like if you're not in that, like you're. it's really hard to have novel insights. And it's like, I do think you'll see the earlier stage you go, they care about that stuff. So sure, like make a yeah. medium thing and or a sub stack, like try to get it out there. but. I, I think you're better off just spending your time reading and not worrying about your external um, kind of presence. Mm-hmm. I think just get get up talk to, to speed with what you know. And, and talk yeah. To people. yeah, exactly. Cool. Exactly. Awesome. Sarah, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way. Patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. And until next time. 